Well, good morning. It is good to see you all on this Memorial Day weekend. And if you would take your Bibles with me and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 as we continue in our study of uh, this great book and the opportunities that we have here this morning to study a very familiar passage, one that you likely well know. As we uh, get into this, I, I spent a little bit of time, you know, time... Times change, books change. I enjoy, uh, obviously, I've mentioned many times, I enjoy going into a bookstore. And so you walk into a bookstore today and you walk straight ahead to the uh, main sections. And one of the first rows that you're going to see in any bookstore, whether it's Barnes and Noble or Baker Bookhouse or Kriegel or anywhere, is a section entitled something like self-help. Doesn't matter if it's Christian, doesn't matter if it's secular, there is the section called self-help. And this morning, as I was thinking of Philippians chapter 4, I thought, what a critical text to everyday life, everyday living for Christ. But the world is trying, and even in Christian circles, trying to fill that space. And some of the titles over the years have changed. Times change. Used to be that it was a very quick thing. You walk into a bookstore someplace and it was four steps to improving your life or seven essentials to make your life better or to be a better business person or whatever. And as if that wasn't enough, there was the other, other segments where not just steps, but let's make the steps quickly. So 60 seconds with Jesus or something to that effect. And those are actual book titles. Today it's changed a little bit, and I find the change fascinating because the change has turned to uh, a little bit more inward. We can find the answer inside of us. In fact, here's a, a couple, and these are a little bit confusing to me. As I, uh, I just went on to Amazon and I typed in, don't recommend it, by the way, uh, to top self-help books. I don't recommend looking that up, but I'm doing it for you on your behalf, and so here's a few of them. The first one is, don't believe everything you think. All right, well, that's actually true. I agree with that. Uh, but then the next one is Atomic Habits. And the subtitle, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. This is the one that I find is interesting, given the first title I gave you. Change your brain every day. Simple daily practices to strengthen your mind. The next one is, uh, again, tying back to the first one. I like this one. This is a bestseller. Stop overthinking. 23 techniques to relieve stress. Stop negative spirals. Declutter your mind. Well, if you're not believing everything you're thinking, well, maybe that's a good second read uh, to that. Uh, this one, chin up, chest out. How to turn a minor setback into a major comeback. There is this continued look into us. How can I fix myself? Paul is going to challenge us to renew our minds. And that is the title of our message, Guidelines for a Renewed Mind. Paul is going to tell us, a last in a series of imperatives, he's going to tell us to think about these things, to think on these things. What things are we to be thinking about? How we can chin up and chest out? How we can declutter our minds? Paul is going to give us a very clear checklist, and we must be those who understand faithfully 
that this is going to be different from self-help sections in most Christian bookstores, and it's going to be different from every self-help section in every secular bookstore. You're not going to find a podcast. You're not going to find uh, some motivational speaker. You're not going to find somebody who's going to teach you how to think biblically without Scripture as their foundation. And so Paul is going to help us do that. The idea we focus on this morning is this. Practicing the habits of a renewed mind is critical to the growth and the life of the believer. You are literally inundated by bestsellers on how to improve you from a secular context. But beloved, Paul is saying that as a Christian, a renewed mind is critical to growth in life. If you want to grow in the Christian walk, you're not going to renew your mind to the things of the world. You're going to be transformed Renewing your mind to the things of Christ. And so Paul is going to give us an outline, a guideline, some, some checklist items that we're going to be studying this morning. And as we do so, uh, we want to be those who are faithful and true to the text. And so we're going, again going to read it, verses 8 and 9, and we're going to ask the Lord's blessing on our time and His Word. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely... Whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we live in a world that has sought to find meaning within our own self. So the answers to the struggles of today are to find how you can fix yourself. Lord, I praise you that your word gives us far greater hope than the total depravity that we exude. I praise you that we have, because of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have the opportunity and distinct command to be those who examine the things of your word, and to think on these things. I praise you for the opportunity that we have to filter out all of the junk things and to focus on what is really important. I praise you that we can spend time in your word today on this Memorial Day weekend. We praise you for the sacrifices of those who have gone on to provide for us a freedom to worship collectively, united together this morning. We do not desire in any way to neglect or to forget the sacrifices that were made. And it reminds us of the great sacrifice of Christ on the cross, and so we exalt you all the more because of this morning and because of the text that is before us. I pray that we would now put into action a Christian practice, that your name would be glorified in all that we do and say. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all of these things. In your son's name we pray. Amen. As we begin in verse 8, we're going to start with right thinking. Paul is going to give us a checklist, and as you can see, our outline's a little bit different than you may have normally observed it or participated with it. We have right thinking and then an important checklist, and we're going to go through those items on that checklist in just a moment. Proverbs 23, 7 says this, As one thinks within himself, so he is. 
In other words, what is on your mind is synonymous with what is already in your heart. And it will eventually show up in the actions of your hands and your feet. So what you're thinking, where your mind is, and the, the, where you're spending time in your thoughts will eventually begin to outflow from you. Having a renewed mind, thinking with holiness, is critical to the growth and life of the believer. So Paul provides an important checklist of essential practices that the believer must engage with because there is only a very limited amount of time and space for you to be thinking on certain things. Decades ago, this has been about two decades ago, about 20 years ago, a study was conducted that children, school-aged children, spent 13,000 hours in their lifetime at school. So spending time at school, having a teacher in front of them, teaching them the lessons that they are to learn, 13,000 hours in the life of a school child. They spent 15,000 hours in front of the television. More time in front of the TV than they did in front of a teacher. Education is happening in both situations. Thinking is happening in both situations. But what are you filling your mind with? Paul provides a checklist for you and I who are believers in Jesus Christ to know what we ought to be thinking. What should we be focusing on? What is it that occupies our minds? That's really the question, the application question for today. What is it that occupies your minds? We have witnessed before, as Paul begins in verse 8, he's used this word before. He says, finally, and he doesn't mean... I'm coming to a close, I'm winding down. Remember in chapter 3, he did the same thing. He used the word finally to say that this section is coming to a close, this idea is coming to a close. So what is he closing with the word finally? He's closing the imperatives, the commands. He's told you and I and the readers at Philippi to rejoice always. And again, Paul says, rejoice. In every circumstance and in every way, we are to be those who rejoice. Then he says, be anxious about nothing, over nothing. There is nothing that should create in the life of the believer anxieties. It should be all brought to the Lord in prayer. He says, be anxious about nothing, but in everything, pray. So Paul has given to us two commands, and he's going to complete those commands this morning by giving us another command. Think on these things. He's going to add a little bit to that, and he's going to say, practice these things. The idea is that we begin with a think on these things. So we have a checklist. Paul is fond of checklists, and sometimes you run through them rapidly. Sometimes you're going to take a little more time. This morning we're going to do a little bit of both. We're going to slow down, and we're going to observe the checklist. And the first one is that Paul says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true... Whatever is true, whatever is true, this refers to whatever is real, whatever is faithful and genuine. It is opposed to lies and rumors and exaggerations. Those are untrue. Deceitful thoughts and plans, 
are out of bounds for one who is thinking whatever is true. So you are not devising wickedness. You are not devising how to finagle your way out of a situation if you know Christ as Savior. Unfortunately, the world today is no longer asking, is it true? Instead, pragmatism has entered into society and unfortunately as well into the church. We are more concerned about how does it make me feel rather than is it true? Or we are concerned about who am I going to offend rather than is it true? To the point that we're willing, at least in a secular culture, to offend the majority for the minority. We're willing to offend the greater because we're willing to push this and say, it doesn't matter if it's true, it's, what matters is, are you offended? So if you're offended, get over it because we're not offending them. This is the pragmatism that has seeped into the church and it drives theology in churches today. Paul says, think on whatever is true. He does not say think on whatever is pragmatic. He says think on those things that are true. Let us be more concerned about whether something is biblically true than we are concerned about whether it's divisive or offensive. The gospel of Jesus Christ is divisive and offensive. Let us be the proclaimers of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is true. Paul says, think on whatever is true. This is not a passive, well, I'll get around to it someday. This is not a 60 seconds with Jesus this is an everyday walk, every moment, every hour by every hour, every day by every day, where we are systematically and fundamentally changing the way that we think through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to think on those things which are true. And today, it takes far greater work than it has ever taken before. Because the world is trying to teach you pragmatism. Paul says, brothers, whatever is true. He goes on and he says, whatever is honorable. Whatever is honorable. Paul uses the same word in Titus 2.2 where there it is translated as dignified. And it is used of those men who have left adolescence and become men of noble maturity and dignity. And so Paul is calling us to that kind of noble, noble maturity and dignity. If you know Christ as Savior, you are to be those who are thinking with honorable intentions and thoughts. This does not mean that you cannot laugh and you're a stoic. It does not mean that you can't have fun. But it does mean that we're going to be serious in our thinking. Serious-mindedness is literally what it means. And it dreads anything that is superficial or flippant. It won't engage in those conversations that are flippantly expressed. We find this today, and it's very quick to find it, in emails, 
text messages. Or it's pretty easy to be flippant. In fact, a news article came out of a county in California where half of the county jail employees have been laid off, been fired essentially, because they engaged in a flippant email back and forth with racist intent. Just flippancy. That will not be named among Christians who are found faithful to whatever is true and whatever is honorable. That is what Paul is referring to. And he says, not only will the Christian who is growing in Christ and is uh, leaning on the things of the Lord, not only will they think about what is true, they will think about what is honorable, and they will think about what is just, whatever is just. And you may notice in your notes, in your bulletin, we printed this before I had a chance to really proof it. I skipped this one, not on purpose, mind you. And I went back, I'm like, it's not adding up. So I fixed it in the PowerPoint behind me, but uh, you'll have to add this in your notes, in your bulletin. Whatever is just. This means, and listen carefully, what Paul is referring to is this is the believer who is constantly planning, constantly thinking, and dreaming to do things right. To do things right. There's a, a counter to this. Psalm 37 Verse 4 speaks of the evil person who lies awake at night, dreaming, devising of ways to sin, cheat, and steal. The believer, faithful to the things of the Lord, will constantly be planning, thinking, and dreaming of ways to do things right. To do them justly. You're going to be looking forward to, how do I do this item justly how do i engage in this conversation justly let us be those who think constantly of how to engage in conversations how to conduct ourselves in a manner that is showing christ justly the question is what is on your mind think about doing the right things whatever you're thinking about now or whatever burdens you brought in this morning and whatever burdens you'll pick up this afternoon, as you think about those things, think justly of those things. This too, just as to think true, is a difficult task. Our world is trying to connive and deceive and to find ways to get the upper hand on the others, but that is not the Christian's attitude. The Christian's attitude, that is, the Christian who is faithful and growing in the things of the Lord, is thinking, how do I do justice? How do I demonstrate Christ's likeness in this situation right now? Paul goes on to the fourth item in his checklist. We are to think on whatever is pure. Whatever is pure. This refers to thinking of those things that are morally blameless. Morally blameless. Emphasized throughout the New Testament, we see over and over and over again, the purity of the Christian is an essential characteristic. We ought to be those who exude purity. How devastating it is in our world today where pornography is as rampant as it is, that the numbers outside the church and inside the church are almost exactly the same of those who engage in it. 
practice it, and are addicted to it. That is not thinking whatever is pure. It's tempting. It pulls us in. But it is not thinking pure. One author writes this. He says, purity begins in the thought of life. Because of that spiritual reality, the greatest battle on the planet isn't between warring nations. It isn't political, economic, or social. The greatest conflict in the world today is the battle that takes place in the mind. And this is something in the titles that I read to you that the secular world has picked up on, and they've finally begun to understand that there's a battle that is going on in the mind. They just have the wrong answers for it. The answers for them is to dig deeper inside, and you're going to find the answer you're looking for. But if you dig deeper, the thoughts and the intentions of the heart are what? Evil only, always. There's depravity. The deeper you go, the more depraved. Paul calls the believer to recognize the battle that rages. The greatest battle that rages is for the thoughts and the intentions, and they must be for the Christian, pure, which means a humble submission to the Spirit of God and is leading in your life. In an impure world, listen carefully. Because it doesn't, I, I picked on pornography, but that's not the only one. There's all kinds of impure things. There's all kinds of things that are in our world today that cause us to think impure thoughts. Listen carefully to this. In an impure world, there are still no excuses for impurity. There are still no excuses for impurity. But there is ever-increasing motivation to think with purity. For the believer who sees the world being rocked by pornography, by selfish ambition and empty deceit, for the believer who sees the things that are happening in the world around us today and they see the level of depravity being exemplified. It's not increasing. We've always been totally depraved, but we're willing to show it more. And as we're willing to show it more and more, we recognize that this should be motivation for the believer to not engage in those things. It is not the temptation to say, well, i got to give in. Everybody else is giving in. It is the recognition that you are distinctly different if you know Christ as Savior. Paul calls you, he commands you to think whatever is pure. That is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a when you get around to it. It's a command. He couldn't command something that wasn't possible. It's not possible in the flesh, but it is possible when you know Christ as Savior through the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And so, believer, when you failed, when you thought impure thoughts, that is the time for confession. That is the time you fall on your knees before the Lord. That is not the time that you seize those thoughts and file them away for the next convenient time to drag them back out of the closet. Let us be those who think with purity. Paul goes on, he says, think whatever is lovely. This is a fascinating statement. This is interesting uh, to me. Some have suggested that the word means winsome, that think whatever is winsome. Others say attractive. Lovely 
in this text literally means pleasing or agreeable. So I would say winsome and attractive are both okay translations of this. But I think both are found here. Jesus challenged his listeners to observe the birds and the lilies of the field. It is pretty easy for us to observe all that man has created and be in awe. When we lived in Chicago, it was one of my favorite pastimes when I was downtown to uh, walk uh, in those sections, you know, Michigan Avenue and some of those places where the buildings are super tall and you watch tourists walk through there. I don't know why, I just, I like watching people and I'd sit there, there's a little cafe there and I was sitting in the cafe and you watch people walk by and they go, wow, staring up, I can't even see the top. We're in awe of what man has created. Are you in awe of what God has created? The order, the design, the efficiency of God's creation, the beauty of God's creation. Naturally, to observe what is truly lovely the believer has to slip out from behind the computer and TV screens. And they have to observe what God has created. In people, in his other created order, to observe the birds and the lilies. Say, well, I'm not an outdoor person. That's not what Paul is saying, that you have to become an outdoor person to know Christ, to exude Christ. What he's saying is, observe what God has done. Observe what God has done. Christ called his followers to the same. Whatever is lovely, think on those things. How easy in our world to be enamored by all of the filth that has been the results of humanity's sin. To be captivated by the headlines that flash across news media instead of to think of what is lovely, to whatever is winsome and beautiful in the truest sense of the word. Believers are to think that way. Paul says now whatever is commendable. Some translate, translations translate this as good repute, and I think that's a good translation, and perhaps it's a better word for us because it gets our mind thinking exactly what the statement is. Commendable and good repute are both good. In fact, we just don't use commendable as much in our English language today. But it is something that we're thinking about that is worth repeating. How often, the word literally means to think about whatever is worth repeating. How often do we think about something that we say, I'm never going to repeat that to anybody else, but I'm going to think about it now. And someone has said something to you, maybe it's a rumor, maybe it's uh, not all the details, and you are driven to think about what is not repeatable. I'm never going to say this to anybody else, but I'm going to spend a lot of time dwelling on it right now. It's interesting how often that you eventually will spill what is not repeatable when you think about what's not repeatable. You dwell on it, and pretty soon you share it to somebody else. How often do you allow your mind to wander to think about things that you would dare not repeat? 
the renewed mind will not spare time to think about such things. The renewed mind will not waste the thoughts, the time, the energy to think about things that dare not be repeated. Whatever is commendable. And there's a reputation here. It's interesting that this word refers to reputation. It's interesting, actually, there was a, an inventor. His name was Leon Bean. And back at the turn of the last century, he had in, invented or made up a new boot. And the boot had a specific form-fitting features and uh, certain characteristics that made it unique and distinct. And he started to sell it through catalogs and so forth with a 100% money-back guarantee. And he sold thousands of the original boots. 90% of them were returned asking for a full refund. 90%. He could have said, I'm finished, I'm done. Instead, he honored the money-back guarantee, went back to the drawing board, and invented another boot and started to sell the other boot that because he had been faithful to his first money-back guarantee, most of his customers returned, and they invited others to return and buy boots from him. And the company, L.L. Bean, was formed because he had good repute. He had a good reputation. When we understand this word, we recognize not only is it that which is worth repeating, but it's the exercise of only doing what is right. Only thinking what is right. Paul says that we are to think whatever is commendable, which includes both aspects. So our checklist right out of the page, right out of the verse. Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's the command to follow. In order to follow the commands... You have to hit the checklist. You have to follow the checklist. You cannot think on these things and do five of six or four of six and say, well, that's a pretty good average. You have to do all six. And there's two additional phrases at the end of verse 8, and we need to understand them as they serve as a summation of the previous checklist of the list we just worked through. If there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise is the first one. There's an assumption made in that phrase, and it's important to draw it out. The assumption is, if there is any excellence, and there is, and if anything worthy of praise, and there are things worthy of praise, think on those things. So the believer cannot sit back and say, well, I had nothing to think about, so my mind just wandered into impure thoughts. No, 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 no. Paul says, in essence, 
since there are excellent things, and since there are things worthy of praise, we think on those things. We dwell on those things. So Paul is excluding those things that are not excellent. He's excluding those things that are not worthy of praise. If you could not bring this up in your relationship with the Lord, don't think on those things. If you feel like, I'm going to hide this away from the things of the Lord, or if you're going to have to confess those things to the Lord, don't think on those things. But do think on those things that are excellent. Do think on those things that are worthy of praise. And he says, dwell on them. Dwell is the imperative. This is the command. We are to have calculated and careful thought patterns as a Christian. Paul has ordered our thinking. There is nothing more practical, nothing more applicable for the Christian than the text that you just read with me. This is how we do everything. This is how we think when no one's around. This is how we think in the middle of busyness. This is how we think at work. This is how we think at home. We are to have a calculated and careful thought life. You don't veg in Christianity. You can veg, but the way that you veg is not just to let your mind wander. There's a church that one of their slogans, and I use church in air quotes because this is not a biblical principle. Part of their slogan says, open minds. They have open minds. Uh, That's going to get filled with something. The Christian is calculated and decisive on what we think. It takes concerted time and effort to discipline our minds to constantly and consistently dwell on these things. A linguist by the name of Alan Redpath, some of you may know him, he's added a significant amount of work and effort into linguistics of Scripture I praise the Lord for his ministry, but he's long past now. But he wrote this, Alan Redpath wrote, I have no magic formula for your holiness. I have no hocus-pocus treatment to offer you. I have no shortcut, no 60 seconds with Jesus, no shortcut to spiritual strength for any of you. All I can do is to say to you, get back to your Bibles. What a wonderful reminder. It's not, you can't spend a few minutes with Jesus and think that that's enough. If children will spend 13,000 hours in front of a teacher and 15,000 hours in front of a TV, then you think a couple hours a week is going to offset all of that? That you're now going to have right thinking? Be those who are diving deep into the text of Scripture. Be those who follow the checklist. I appreciated Mike's testimony a few minutes ago where he put it on the, the backdrop of his phone. And through all of the apps, how pertinent it is for us to say, think on these things. I think that's a great application 
putting it as a background on your phone to say, should I touch on that app? Should I, should I go to that site? Should I waste time doing this? My phone tells me how many hours I spend on my phone every week. It's staggering at the end of every week. Two hours, three hours, every week looking at my phone. Some far more than that, some less than that. There's no magic formula. However, there is something that you must do. Christian practice. This is an interesting phrase and one that I'm intentionally applying here because in order to engage in Christian practice, you must apply these truths. Paul calls us to not only dwell on these things, but to do them. Notice what he says in verse 9. He says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, Paul uses the word practice as a verb. I'm using it as a noun. Christian practice. Your doctor practices medicine. A lawyer practices law. A Christian practices godliness. Paul points to his own example, and he implores the Philippian believers to follow his pattern. He implores them to follow his example. They had learned from Paul, from his teaching and from his preaching. The church, listen carefully for wherever you may happen to be in your growth, in your spiritual growth with Christ, the church ought to be full of examples to follow. Men and women of the faith who have followed the checklist, who are following the checklist. The church ought to be full of those kinds of examples. And Paul is pointing to himself, and he is saying, follow the example as they follow Christ. It's important to also understand that not every example ought to be followed. You have to practice wise and godly discernment. Because there are a lot of examples within Christendom that have a claim to some name who are not worthy of being followed. And we must be careful about understanding those things. Not every example ought to be followed. Only those who dwell on these things that we have studied in the checklist and put them into practice. So Paul is not only giving you a checklist of what you should be doing, but what you should be looking into for others who are your disciplers, those who are mentoring you in the walk with Christ, and how you should then mentor others in the walk with Christ. So Paul points to his example. We are to be vessels that ought to be translating biblical principles into biblical practices. We are to be vessels who are translating biblical principles into biblical practices. And as I said, a lawyer practices law and a doctor practices medicine. That does not mean they're practicing on you. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm very thankful for a doctor who's not practicing. He's living out his profession, but I'm very thankful that he's not like, you know, let's try this. Never done that before. I want to see what happens. I I think you may have this test. I don't know. We're going to try. I'm going to practice on you. Aren't we thankful that it's not because they're practicing on us, but because this is what they do? 
So when I use the term Christian practice, I'm not saying you're practicing Christianity, that you're experimenting, that you're trying to see if this works or doesn't work. What I'm saying is this is who you are. This is what you do. This checklist is who you are. It's what you do. You're putting them into practice. And you're doing so immediately. And I've said before, and I'm going to say it again, probably, I say it again on a regular basis at home, uh, but I've said this to my children, slow obedience is disobedience. You can slowly go do something, and I'll go get it done sometime, or you can immediately obey. What Paul is calling you to is not when you have time to get around to Christian practice, not when it fits into your schedule, you know, after the kids move out or after the grandkids leave or uh, after retirement or on Saturdays. Paul is calling us to instant obedience. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. This is also an imperative and it is also essential to be doing it right now. Don't delay. Don't say, well, there'll be an easier time tomorrow. No, it is today, this moment, where you change your thinking. And every moment after that, when temptation comes, think about whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is holy, whatever is just. Do not delay an obedient response to God. One author says it this way. I gave you the way I say it, but one author says this. Delay is really just disobedience in a tuxedo. Delay is just disobedience all dressed up, no place to go. And if you do that, all the self-help books are all trying to get you to find a better place for you to be. Notice what Paul says at the very end of verse 9. He says, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you all. If you will obey, you will not just ease your conscience. You will confess ungodliness. You will confess disobedience. And you will clear your conscience. And the peace of God, from the God of peace, will be yours. It's interesting that Paul has ended two of the imperatives in a similar manner. We should not allow that to escape our notice. In fact, if we go back, just notice uh, these statements beginning in verse 4. Verse 4 of chapter 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul has twice told us where peace comes from in the life of the believer. 
It's not from you. You can't go pick up a self-help book and reach some state in which you are at peace. It's not possible. And you know it to be true. But your friends may be reading that book, or they may have told you about that book, and so you go and you pick it off the shelf, or you go to the podcast and you listen to the podcast, or you go to the website and you read the articles off the website. Somehow, you've disengaged from what Paul says brings the peace of God. And so, instead of rejoicing always, you grumble and complain. Instead of having no anxiety, you have high anxieties. Instead of praying, you pray less. Instead of following the checklist, taking captive your thoughts, you begin to let your thoughts wander into impure things, into things that are not commendable, into things that are not honorable. And you wonder why you have no peace. Paul is very clear. Practice these things. You've heard them? Go practice them. When you leave here out of your chairs, you're not even out of the building yet, practice these things. Put them into practice. When you engage in conversation in the next few moments, practice these things. Every or rather godly thought patterns, reflect the mind of Christ. And when you're reflecting the mind of Christ, then he will become evident in you. And how much does a lost and dying world need to see Christ in you? Show them Christ. Not just to those in this fellowship, certainly among us, but to everyone. Paul ends his imperatives by reminding us to practice these things. Dwell on these things and put them into practice. Don't just think about them and say, well, I fulfilled the command. Dwell on them and practice them. There's no greater application than that. Go and do what you've been taught. Go and do what you've been instructed. Let me close in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you in a world that is trying to radically transform our thinking to think even more and more depraved, we praise you that we as believers are systematically and uniquely different. Lord, I pray for that believer who is struggling, having been captivated by the thoughts and the quickness, the brevity of some of the self-help world. Lord, I praise you that they don't have to rely on those things. I pray for a deeper and more intimate walk with our Savior. I pray that for all of us, wherever we are at in the Christian journey, I pray that we would be those who are diligent and faithful and digging deeply into your word, to taking captive our thoughts, to work through this checklist, to memorize it, to dwell on it, and then to live it out. Or may it become so evident in us that we are distinctly different as we point to Christ. But I also pray that if there are any among us that do not yet know Christ as their Savior, 
Pray that in the emptiness of the self-help world, that they would begin to sense the pulling of the Holy Spirit upon them, that they would come to know Christ as their Savior, that your name would be glorified in their response to that, that they would indeed recognize their great need, recognize who they are and what they are in Christ, recognize who they are and what they are before Christ. Lord, for those of us who know you as Savior, I pray that we will immediately begin to put this into practice. Sanctification, very active, very real, and applicable to our hearts and to our lives. May we now obey. Lord, as we continue in song on this Memorial Day weekend, I pray that our voices would be united in worship and praise to you, to you alone. And that we would begin to be those who think biblically, to dwell on these things that Paul has instructed to us, that your name would be glorified in it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all of these things. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.